is the season of change and maybe resolutions. To help us out a little bit this morning, I like to do this once a year, and I think people love it. Uh, and so if you would, stand to your feet. Oftentimes when we come to church, by the way, you're one for one on church attendance this year. Yes. So if you get to 52, we'll send you a certificate, I promise. All right. So we're going to do, oftentimes we get locked into a place in church, and you're like, oh, no, I know what he's going to do. Here it comes. I want you to switch seats. If you're capable this morning, find, you have to be in at least a different section. Grab your stuff, grab your whoever you're with, and uh, head to another section. Should make everybody sit in the front. All right, settle in, settle in. I love the fact that I've asked you to do one small little change, and you're like, oh, I'm never coming back to this church again. Uh, it's like pulling teeth to move a seat. Oh. By the way, I'm Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're glad that you're here today. And a uh, little story, um, my youth pastor uh, is a, name, a guy by the name of David Winchester, and uh, he was, uh, I thought, the greatest youth pastor of all time. He was bald and goofy, uh, which goofy is a, a huge attribute if you can be a youth pastor, and uh, big influence on my life. Uh, and uh, I graduated, and at about that same time, he began to have this what-if kind of moment where God was calling him to go to Colorado, of all places. And he began to process this, what if God is calling me uh, to another location. I've lived in South Carolina all my life, but what if, and this, this, this began to happen, and he moved to Colorado. The same time I was going through this moment where I felt like God was telling me that I needed to go to Alabama, or I felt like my whole life I was going to the University of Alabama, but then God changed things up and said, you know, I want you to go to this, this school in Nashville, Tennessee, this small school that many people have never heard of, but it's the greatest school in all the land. What if God wants you to be at Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville. And I made that decision, and I just went all in and went there. Well, one summer, I think it was my, my sophomore summer, I went back home from Trevecca, and I had no plan. I had no car, and I needed, I needed a job to get a car and to get a plan. Uh, but I, so I went back home to try to earn some money with no job, and then something crazy happened. David, who was in Colorado, he was at this camp they have in Colorado called Golden Bell. It's this camp that's there, and they were short on counselors and staff for the, the summer. And so he was there, and suddenly he just got this kind of epiphany moment and said, I wonder if Matt has any plans this summer. What if he could come out here and be one of the counselors? Because the counselors were counselors all during the summer and with kids camp and student ministry and all this stuff. And so he calls me up and he says, hey, would you consider coming to be a counselor for the summer? 
And at the same time, I'm going through this call to ministry, and I'm like, what if, God, maybe you want me to go there, because I was the undeclared major for the longest time. And uh, so I was kind of feeling this pull toward this, but, but what if, God, you want me to, to go be a counselor for the summer? So I go out there, never been before, just kind of lots of question marks out there. Go to this camp. It was an amazing camp experience. There was a girl there, Okay. All right, because that's what happens sometimes at camp, and uh, you see a girl, and I saw a girl, not just a girl, but an amazing girl, some say a Wonder Woman-like girl, and I started to really notice this girl, okay? I started to really notice her and pay attention to her, <laughs> and I started, something started to come into my mind, what if, what if she is the girl, the one? Okay, that started going to, and through my mind. And, so, and then you throw that away, Brent comes back, and I just didn't say anything and never did. Spent time with her. The summer was amazing, had great experiences there. Felt a confirmation of ministry in that summer. Uh, and then the summer was over. And I began to think about this girl more and more and more. She was amazing. She got an awesome character. She's a PK, and, and, you know, that's kind of a, some PKs are just weird, but, uh, but that was okay, and I just, but I never really had the guts to say anything. But I'd rehearsed this speech in my mind over and over. If I could just say what I, I wanted to say and have the courage to say it. So the summer is over. I am going back home to get ready to go back to, to school and get ready for that. I did not have a car, as I said earlier. I needed a ride to get to the airport. And so here's where the story gets a little, we have to, by the way, that is me uh, back in college. The sweater hides things very well. Uh, and so I, some say I asked her, that's my version, or that's her version. My version is she asked if I needed a ride to the airport, and I did, and Melanie gave me a ride, this girl gave me a ride to the airport. And uh, so she gives me a ride to the airport, and not only that, she says, you know what, why don't I come inside what if I come inside and I, I keep you, you company while your, your, your plane comes? So the whole time I'm thinking, the, 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 you know, but I can't get it out. I can't get it out. And I kept having these places where, well, if, if this happens, if this happens, then I'll say the thing that I need to say. I want to say. And I just couldn't get the courage. And so she comes inside, and then she says this, well, what if I, I go to the gate with you and see you off? Okay, remember when you could go to the gate and before, this is pre, you know, 9-11, you could go to the gate and you can wave and you can hug and say goodbye at the gate. Kids, I know this is way before your time, but this actually happened. We could do that, okay? And so she says, what if I actually go to the gate with you? And it was like, that was the, that was the click moment for me. And suddenly that speech started to come up and I could feel it inside of me. I could feel it just like something pushing inside and just, I've this is it. And so we get, and I'm about to get on the plane, and there was this moment where I'm staring, I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me. <laughs> and I, I, I was going to turn and go, but the speech, start, it just started to come out, this moment. And everything that I wanted to say in that moment, bam. And I got to tell you, I know you weren't there, but I think I have one witness that would say, I nailed it, okay? <laughs> I killed it that day. I, that speech was off the charts. You can make a movie about it. Um, and that moment led to so many 
other moments. Three kids later, woohoo, we're here. Yeah. Now, as I think about this story, and some of you have heard it, and thank you for enduring it again, uh, I think, man, there was a lot of what ifs in that. But along the way, if, this is such a huge part of that, if David doesn't go to Colorado, if I don't go to Trevecca, if Melanie doesn't volunteer, if I don't go to this camp, if, if I don't say what I'm supposed to say that day, there's so much power in two little letters, if. If, if, if. So much power in that little bitty word. A couple of weeks ago, uh, by the way, I heard last week was amazing. Uh, Keith, Pastor Keith is, is fantastic. If you were here, he was our, our pastor, two pastor, a pastor ago, and uh, it was a great service I heard. We were up in Oklahoma City. I was with Keith a couple weeks back, and I was really just praying, seeking what God would have for us at the beginning of the year, and uh, he said, you know what? I've got a great idea for a series. And he started telling me about this book. And uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be kind of diving in. And if, if you're a book person and you like to grab Christian books, a guy named Mark Batterson has written a book called If. It's a recent kind of book. And it'd be a great one to pick up. If you hear something amazing that I'm, uh, I say, it's probably something that he said. Uh, and so just going to give him credit now. If it's something that's like, man, that was kind of lame. Why did he say that? That was probably my own, okay? Um, or not funny. Uh, but, but he really explores this. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be checking out this word for the next couple of, of weeks and this, this if and what that means for us. If you think about the power of if, it's, it's pretty intense. I mean, think about it. it. What if started this, a lot of different things. Uh, at, at any point probably during this day, at some points in the day, there are about 600,000 people that are up in the air. Hey, ponder that for the sec- a second. That's like the 30th largest that's almost the size of Nashville, Tennessee, up in the air, in an airplane, okay? There are, there are planes everywhere. There are 23,000 scheduled flights to take off on any given day. It's 5,000 planes can be up in the air over the United States at one time, and it was all because two PKs, pastor's kids, Wilbur and Orville Wright, they began to ask this question, what if? One day their pastor dad came home with a a helicopter that was operated by a rubber band and it would spin and go up in the air. He said, what if we could do this in real life? And here we are. Some of the greatest moments with inventions and movements and things, what if we could go to the moon? What if, maybe one of the greatest inventions of all time, what if we put chocolate and peanut butter together in one thing. Thank you, Mr. Reese, for that. That was only like 100 years ago, by the way. Great invention. But there's some great moments. I'm a huge Alabama fan, and I have earned that right to be an Alabama fan because I had to live there for 11 years. Um, So I have the right to say Roll Tide occasionally. But uh, when I was uh, watching the college playoff uh, last year, there was a commercial that came on that made me almost want to completely switch my allegiance. Uh, Here is the commercial. Don't you want to go there? Man, go Ducks. Uh, Happy New Year, by the way. I don't know if I told you that. I think I forgot that. But Happy New Year. Did you have a good New Year? Has it been a good New Year's Eve, a good time? Did you, we talked about resolutions. Did you make any resolutions? No? Yes? Shake your head, yes or no? You did or didn't? All right. There's a study, uh, time.com did the top resolutions for this year. Any guesses? Tell your neighbor right now what you think. I bet you're going to be able to get some of them. What do you think some of the top resolutions are for 2016? 
All right, here's our, our top six according to time.com. First of all, these are all, probably seem very familiar. Pay down debt, okay? Spend more time with family and friends. That's excellent. Uh, save more and spend less. Kind of the, the financial trend is, is there. The next one, lose weight, okay? Live a healthier lifestyle, a little related, and then enjoy life to the fullest. Enjoy life to the fullest. I don't know if you made a resolution. Mine has to do with number three there uh, and maybe number two. Uh, but I, I made some resolutions. And I, you know what? I think, I think resolutions are good. I, I think they're good because they're catalysts, if you will. Now, I know what you're saying in your head. They don't work. Nobody keeps them. You know, stats will tell us 60% of people will make them and only 8, 5 or 8% will keep them. Um, so they don't really work. And let's be honest, people don't really change. I mean, they're just kind of the way they are. And we're kind of stuck the way they are. And that's just the way it is. But you know what? If we think about this if, and the thing that I like about, um, about this if statement, and even about resolutions is this, is that if moments and resolutions, they're conditional. That if you do something, then something happens. You know, if I don't eat bluebell ice cream as much as I'd like and I exercise more, then I'm, I'm going to lose weight. It just is the, there's a conditional thing to that. There's an if and there's a then. But, you know, as I think about these things that we maybe have written down or, or thought about or maybe told someone about, and that's probably a good thing you should do, what if they actually came true? What if the things that, that you want to change or want to happen in your life, what if they actually happened. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be great? You know, I think the Bible, there's, it focuses on this power of if. In fact, 1,700 times the word if is used in probably various contexts. And if you think about it, there are several big verses. And we're going to talk about some of these verses in the next couple of weeks. But a couple that jumped in my mind, and maybe you can think of some if verses. Uh, but Second Chronicles says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and will hear from heaven. They'll heal from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land if my people. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. There's a lot of great if verses. In fact, we're going to be looking in the next several weeks, not just at a book, but we want to look at the Okay, And Romans chapter 8 is what we're going to be focused on. And a lot of people, you can flip there in your, your Bible now, Romans chapter 8, a lot of people call this the best chapter in the entire Bible. The best, the uh, most essential, uh, the most profound. It's so deep. We could be there for an entire year, I think. And there's only, I think, 39 verses there. So flip there. And, and my challenge for the next couple of weeks is this. I hope some of your resolutions maybe include, I want to get into God's word more. And maybe some of you in the room have said, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And that's, that's great. My hope for us as a community of believers is that we wouldn't just read more and that we would be in the word more. And that's great. We should be. I want us to be. But that the word would be in us more, would be in our hearts more and be in our heads more and be uh, just all about us. And so you're getting to Romans chapter 8. Before you get there, we get there. I want to tell you about Wayne. It's actually, his first name is Ronald. Ronald Wayne, and uh, we're going to throw a picture up of him there. And uh, <coughs> Ronald Wayne is, is holding, he's holding another picture there. 
And uh, we're going to show you that to you there. This is the first Apple logo, Apple computers. This is the first logo. And Ronald Wayne came up with the logo. Now, most of us know that Apple, the, the two big founders of Apple are Steve and Steve, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, Wozniak. but there is a third founder of Apple. On April 1st, 1976, these three guys, Ronald Wayne, Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs, they were working at Atari and they said, what if we had this idea for a new computer? And they formed a company called Apple. But two weeks later, after putting, some, you know, putting money in and time in and coming up with different things for the company, Ronald Wayne began to get cold feet. He began to get cold feet. He'd had a failed business several years before that didn't work out. He was older than Steve and Steve, and he had actual things that people could take if the company went under, okay? So you could seize his, his assets if the company went bad. And so he began, began to get scared. And so he asked for his money back, and then he had a termination there. At that time, at that time, he, was, he had 10% of Apple, the company. The other guys, Steve and Steve, 45 each. Wayne, being not the, the computer guy, but more the administrative guy, he had 10%. If he holds on to that 10%, do you know how much that'd be worth today? Estimate, 60 to $70 billion dollars. Ronald Wayne lives in a trailer home. If, now we've talked a little bit about what if, but I know a lot of people that are living here. If only. If only, if only I would have done this, if only I would have said this, and, and maybe these are germinating in your mind from the past, if, if only, and, and the, kind of the, the quick version of that is regrets. You know, and I know a lot of people that they just, they live by this motto, no regrets, no regrets, okay? And you, maybe you've seen some tattoos of that. I'm glad you're quick on that. This is another one I found. I thought this was even, you know, funny there. You got, all right. Regret knowing, yeah, there's a deeper meeting there. We're not going to go. But you know what? I'm just going to call uh, bull honky on that, okay? Or can we be honest? Because we all have regrets. Every person in this room has regrets. I have regrets. Maybe it's regret professionally like our, our friend Ronald Wayne. Maybe it's you know, if I would have just gone this direction or I would have done this or that. My dad decided to be a teacher by putting three professions in a hat and pulling it out. I don't know if that was you. But, 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 but if only I'd have gone this direction. Maybe it's relationally with family and you've made decisions and you've done things in the past with, with friends. And if only I would have, if only I would have gone to Colorado, <laughs> if, if only... Or maybe it's, it's, it's spiritual, where you think about some things that you've, you've done, maybe things that you've, ways that you've hurt people, things that you've said, actions that you've, you've done. And what we call these things are, are, are sins, and we all have sins. 
actions that we've committed that we knew that we were wrong, and we did them anyway. Now, theological moment of the day, there's, there's really, I, I kind of call two kinds of, well, for today's purposes, two kinds of sins. There's sins of commission. Those are the actions that I've committed uh, against uh, a God or against others, people. Those are sins of, of commission. And then there's sins of omission. Sins of omission are, are acts of, uh, just the short version will be disobedience. Things that I should have done, I know that I should have done it, but I didn't do it. I don't know if you have a GPS on your phone. Uh, I do. I could not get around this town without it. The little lady, she's got an Australian voice on my uh, Siri voice thing, and she tells me, you know, the directions to go and things. Well, sometimes I just go, you know what? I'm not going to go that direction. I think it's faster to go this way. There, There are moments where God clearly tells us to do something. That the Holy Spirit prompts us, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's a GPS force. He prompts us to do things, and we say, no, I am not going to do that. That's a sin of omission. It's a sin of disobedience. When I I look at my children, and I tell them to do something, and I tell them to do it again, and I tell them to do it again, and I tell them to do it again, and again, and again, that's disobeying. And my favorite, if you're, if, if you're a kid in the room, is, well, I didn't hear you, mom or dad. You know, I just didn't hear you say that. I didn't hear you say that. I didn't know that, God. So there's, there's sins of omission that are there. And, and, and all of us have those things. And, and what I found, what I've read is this, is, is, as people get older, and maybe you're sensing this, and I am, the older I get, and I'm kind of at that midlife crisis 37 point that the older you get, earlier on in life, you regret actions. But the older you get, you begin to regret the things that you didn't do, or you didn't say, or places you didn't go, or things that you, you should have done and you just didn't, if only. And we can live in those places. Uh, I was watching, uh, I don't know if you watched The Ball Drop. By the way, Noah stayed up this year. I'm missing, kind of missing Dick Clark. Uh, it was it's kind of brutal this year. Uh, I don't know if kids should be watching the uh, stay up to the, the ball dropping, but uh, I flipped through, and I think it was, I don't know what channel, I think it was ABC, they had Houston's version of that, and who were we to get, what band were we to get? The B-52s, okay? Now, I know I'm going to hurt somebody's feeling this morning, but what? Uh, can we not get anybody better than that? I can name one song, and I think we all know the same song, if you know the B-52, Love Shack. Like, how many times can you play that? And, okay, not my generation, but, but their BB2s are playing, and people are all around. They're middle of downtown somewhere, and on the bottom of the screen, I noticed this. They were, people were texting in different things about 2016 and resolutions and different. They're on the, scrolling on the bottom of the screen, and I wish that I had my phone ready because, in essence, someone said this on the bottom of the screen. Uh, it was... Um, I'm ready for 2015 to be over. Something has to change in 2016. And I don't know if you've felt like that before, but something has to change in 2016. Things can't keep going like 2015. So my question, one of the questions I have for you, I'm going to have some what if questions. What if you are one decision? One change away from a totally different life. Remember, what was that resolution, the number one resolution? A fuller life. What if we were one decision away from a a fuller life? Now, here's the good news of the day. 
There is no regret. There's no if only moment that God cannot redeem. There is not a person that God cannot restore, that God cannot bring back. And a question that jumped in my mind this week, do you think a terrorist, since that's been on our mind a lot, do you think a terrorist can become a Christ follower? Do you think so? And I've kind of wondered that this week. And I know some of you are shaking your heads, and we think that maybe, you know, I think that's an impossibility. But God actually gives us an example. 2,000 years ago, the writer of Romans, this guy named Paul, he was, he was a terrorist. He was searching out and killing Christians during the day. And who writes most of the New Testament? The terrorist does. That is just like God, to take something that seems impossible and do something miraculous. And that's where we start this, this whole thing. If only. God can do the if only there. So the verse we're going to look at today is a big one. It's, it's this if verse. It's this, Romans 8.31. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. It's right there in the middle. And we're going to go kind of jump all around. But Romans 8.31 says this. If God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, easy one to memorize. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can be against us? Just let that process. If God is for us, that means, and really what he's saying is this, is this since God is for us. What if you believe that? There is this game that we play. Uh, youth pastors have to have it in the back of their mind when they go on road trips. You just got to keep kids kind of occupied sometimes. Uh, this game called Mafia. Uh, yeah, there you go. We got one Mafia fan. It's a great game. I'll, I'll teach you later. But it essentially involves putting your head down, and there's different people in the game. There's like eight to ten, and there's townspeople, and there's the Mafia, and the Mafia are trying to kill people. And uh, then there's the sheriff or the cop, whatever you want to put there. And then there's the doctor. Okay, there's the, the doctor that's, that's there. And no one really knows who is who in this. It's one of those mystery games. And so you put your hand down, you're all kind of given these different roles, and then you put your head up and you play the game. Now, here's what happens when your head comes up. You're looking around the circle and you're going, all right, who are these people? Who is on my side in this game? Because you don't know. It's this mystery. It's like, who's on my side? I don't know who even my teammate is. And I think sometimes people look at God and ask that question, is God even on my side? And what this verse is telling us is absolutely he is for you. He is cheering for you. He is beside you. He is with you. He's been there for the most amazing days, and he is there when things are, are just the pits of you know where, and he is there. God is for you. He's cheering for you. He's hoping for you. He wants the best for you. And how do we know this? It's a verse that you probably, you've seen, uh, some guy will probably have it on a sign today at a game that we'll watch. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I wish that he would just add a, a dash to that sign, the sign guy that's always, at the, or maybe he like has it on his belly. Um, just a dash and a one seven. Because the next verse, I think, is a great verse for us and for everyone. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through us. God 
is for us. He's not here to condemn us. He didn't come to condemn us. He is on our side. So maybe the question you have to ask today, and maybe you're here today and you're asking this fundamental question, is there a God? Let me challenge you this. What if there is? What if there is a creator, a God that made everything, that this amazing details that we see around the planet and in your body and everywhere, what if there was a creator? And what if this creator is for you? How would that and how should that change our lives? How should that change our lives? So how do we know he's for us? Let's just keep reading in this Roman. Go back to the Romans passage. Since, this is 832, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? God has chosen us, and he gave his own son No one, for God himself, has given us the right standing with himself. Who then, there's that word again, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, and he was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us, pleading for us. This phrase has been on my mind, and in other places, it's interceding for us. Jesus is. Is, is, is interceding. He's pleading on your behalf. He is for you. Now, as I've thought about this, there's a movie that I was probably the last one to see, but I, just, I saw it, and, and I showed a clip of it a couple, weeks, a couple months ago, and it just, when I think of interceding for someone, someone that what Jesus is doing here, I think of Miss Clara. And if you've seen the movie War Room, I think Jesus' voice sounds a little bit like an 80-year-old African-American woman. Check out this, this clip. Hmm. Now, as I listen to some of your stories, uh, I've heard some of you say things like this. There was someone like Miss Claire that was praying for me. I was so far away from God. I was rebellious, and I just I turned my back on him, and I turned my back on my family and all these places. And I even heard a friend say this. I was going by my, my mom's room, and I heard her Say my, my name. And, and maybe you're saying today, if there's not, first of all, I think, by the way, we should be those people that call out and fight for people and plead for people. Um, but maybe you're saying today, there's no one like that for me. The word tells us there is, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he has been pleading from you from the beginning. And it doesn't matter how far away you are or how far you've gone. He is pleading and hoping and cheering and believing and fighting for you. And how do I know that? Because of the cross. Because of the cross of Jesus. Now, if you get that, and if you can get this, that God's for you, and you believe that, and that Jesus loved you so much that he would die for you, then we can go to Romans 8.1. Flip there. What does it say there? It's a familiar verse too. There, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So when I see that verse, there's two things that come to my mind. Who belongs to Christ Jesus then? Because there's no condemnation. Those who put their faith and their trust and their hope into Jesus. Who, like the disciples, they turned from their way and they went and they started to follow Jesus. It's not just a, I believe in God. It's I believe in God so much that I am following him. 
If you put your faith and your trust in God, then you belong to Christ Jesus. Now, there's this other part that's there is, what if I still feel guilty? What if I still feel guilty about the if-onlys? I was with my friend Mark a couple of months back, and every time we're together, we tell some of the same stories, and something hit me. I tell the same story about Mark, and it's one of those stories that you try to forget. It's kind of funny, but it's a mistake that he made. And in that moment, I said, it hit me. I'm the, in, I'm the devil. <laughs> I'm the devil. Because that's what the devil does. It reminds us of the past, right? Reminds us of it there, because the truth is this. is another if verse. 1 John 1, 9. What is it? If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, maybe you're feeling that, that condemnation today. And I want to give you, this is a great quote. Maybe this is the thing that you remember from today. Condemnation, that feeling of condemnation, is a feeling of guilt and shame over confessed sin. Conviction, and there's a difference, is a feeling of guilt, guilt over unconfessed sin. I think we added a Y up there. It's this feeling of, of guilt over unconfessed sin. So basically, here's this. The enemy, Satan, wants to remind you of the things that you've already confessed, that God has already promised you that are forgiven, but he wants to remind you. That's the voice that you're hearing. That's what condemnation is. Conviction, and conviction is healthy, folks. When you're in the wrong place and you're doing the wrong things and you're going the wrong direction and you're feeling guilt over that, that's called conviction. And he's calling you to turn around, to ask for forgiveness. And that's where we come to this place called confession. But the reality is for some people that are living in this condemnation, you're living and listening to the enemy, you just don't honestly believe that God did what he said he was going to do along the way. There is this, the, the, the last thing that Jesus says on the cross, right before he dies, he says this phrase, it is finished. Now, the Greek there is a word that I won't be able to pronounce correctly, but it's titalasta, titalasta, or something like that. And that's what it is finished means. Now, here's kind of the, the rumor folklore of the day. Like when you would go to a restaurant or you had something, an exchange of things, you were kind of given a receipt of sorts. And at the bottom of that receipt, when everything had been settled, that was the phrase that, that, that came up and was kind of signed off. Because what that mean then, paid in full. The bill has been paid. What does that mean? You can't pay for it. He paid for it. Now, I had a revelation this Christmas. I think I've known this about myself for a while, but, but I will just admit it to everyone. I am both a terrible gift giver and I'm an awful gift receiver, okay? I'm not good at it, all right? Some of you are great at it. Like you get the gift, everyone's watching you and you're like, I'm just awkward in that moment. I don't know what to do, okay? I'm just not very good at that. And then there's times like we're just, my friend Jeffrey is the most generous person, and every time he goes to lunch, he wants to pay for lunch. I don't know how to accept that very well. Like, no, 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 no. Even though I want him to pay for it, no, 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 no. I can't accept it. Even I do that with compliments sometimes. Just kind of, I just feel awkward, and we're just bad gift receivers sometimes, okay? Are you with me? I think we're just not very good at that, at receiving gifts well. And what God wants us to do, I think this is the message for us for this year, receive grace. Receive it. If you receive it, the condemnation 
will go away. The condemnation will go away. Last thing, the band's coming up. You're probably wondering, why in the world is there a, a giant triangle here? Kind of the, another thought I've had with this is there's a book. Uh, it's called uh, The Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, it's a bestseller. It's probably a good book. It's not a Christian book. It's a good book if you just are, your mind likes to be intrigued by, by different things. And, and it talks about this, this tipping point. And the tipping point is the place, it's the place where kind of matter changes. So what he describes it is, is kind of like the boiling point, you know, where the water goes and suddenly it gets to a certain point and then it begins to boil. It's when uh, something changes. It's, in physics, it's an object that's displaced from a stable state of rest into a, a new state. And it, he describes it as tipping point is a magic moment when an idea, a trend, or a behavior, it crosses a threshold and it tips over. And it just comes to this one kind of momentum moment where suddenly things all of a sudden change. Tipping point. Now, as I've thought about this for this passage and this week, the tipping point is this. It's where it all kind of comes together. The tipping point of transformation and change and going, because what God, I think, want, he wants us to go to is to leave the if only behind. You've got to leave it behind and begin to ask the question of God, what, what if? What if God is for you? What if he believes in you? Maybe, and what if he died for you? What if he loves you that much? And if he did, and he is God, what if you put your faith in him? And you trusted him, not just in lip service, but in your whole life? And I think the tipping moment when you begin to believe that he's for you, that that's true, and then there's this thing comes, this, if we confess, because there's this moment where you realize that if God is for me, the way that I've been going, I've been going against him. I've been going against him. And I've been rebellious, and I've just not done the things that I'm supposed to do, and you've told me that I'm supposed to do those things. And there's confession, and then here's that, this, the, the point, it's called repentance. It's the turning from one way, and it's going a completely different way. And it's receiving His grace. That's my hope. That's my prayer for you today. That that will, will, will come alive in you. That you won't just think it, but you will believe it, and God will do a miracle and a, and a change in your heart and in your life, and He can do it. And the tipping point for all of us, and I wish that I thought of this earlier, it's the cross. It is the cross. And so this morning, I invite you to respond to the word. Here's some ways that you can do that. Garen's going to play. And this, this sanctuary is just a place of prayer. This morning, if you're, feeling, if you're feeling conviction, you're saying, man, I've been going the wrong way. And I know it, and God's been telling me that, and I've done the wrong things, and I've said the wrong things, and I've hurt people, I've hurt myself. And I need to turn around. I need to repent. I need to go to God. There, is, there are altars 
here, there, everywhere. You can come to those places and you can pray and you can turn around right now by faith and turn toward God. Or maybe you're feeling condemnation. There's things, if only moments in your life that you, I can't get past these things. I keep listening to the wrong voice. I need to be listening to the voice of God and the spirit of conviction, not the spirit of condemnation that's the enemy. I need to, to hear better and I need to trust and I need to believe in the cross. If that's you today, just, just spend time asking for that today. And maybe you just need to receive and just receive grace. You haven't received it very well and that will wipe away the condemnation in your life. You could do that at your seat. And this morning, I've got some friends, they're gonna be in the back and they're going to their places now. And we've got communion places all around. And after you pray, and maybe you want to write some things down, and after you just kind of spend time with God this morning, my invitation is when, when you're at that place, and maybe you need somebody to pray with you, and you want to come up to these places, do that. You're going to go to the back, and you're going to receive God's grace today, because that's what symbolically we're talking about. And today we're going to do it a little different. I want you to come, and we want to be better receivers of grace. I need to be a better receiver of grace. And I want you to come with your hand open this morning. And the servers are going to put the element, the, the, the bread in your hand as you receive God's grace. And I want you to, to feel that today. You're going to dip it in the cup and you're going to receive the love of Jesus Christ. So a lot of things happening. Make, let's make this place a place of prayer this morning. Move as God feels or prompts you to move. And then when you feel good, you can go to the places of communion. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we'll let you, let you go to those things. God, you're so good to us. God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't give up on me. Thank you for giving me second chance after second chance after second chance. God, I thank you for your grace your mercy that wipes away all our sin. God, help us to believe it. Help us to stop listening to the wrong voices in our life. Help us to receive your grace and mercy today as we start this new year and we turn our eyes toward you, God. Lord, I, I plead for those, not just that are here, that there are people that I know, the names that are coming to my mind that are, that are far away from you, Jesus. God, I pray that you will, you will speak to them in a loud voice. God, I pray that you, they will seek you with all their heart, Lord. God, help us to be the agents that are going to reach and be agents of reconciliation and grace in this world, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd meet us in these next few moments. Lord, your spirit is here. Lord, I pray that people, your people would be obedient today. God, meet us. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Go as the spirit fills, uh, leads you this morning.